Welcome, my friends. Welcome to another edition of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of western Japan on this second day of December, 2007. This is the 22nd edition of the Corbett Report, entitled, The Schools Are Becoming Prisons. A contentious headline, indeed. But, of course, as usual, we'll be backing up this premise with numerous references to recent media articles, with headlines such as, School to Track Pupils with Radio Chips Sewn into Their Uniforms, Armed Men Terrorize School, School district demands biometric data from parents. In return, parents get access to children. Tennessee teachers stage fake gunman attack on sixth graders during school trip. Children as young as four to be given happiness tests at school. New child checks to identify future criminals, etc., etc., etc. Those headlines might give you a flavor of today's episode. And we will be getting into those articles and more in today's episode. And I remind all my listeners that you can find links to all of these articles from our website, www.corbettreport.com. And under today's episode, you'll be able to find a list of documentation sorted by time index with links to all of those articles just listed and many more. But as usual, I encourage you not to take my word for it. I'd like to start today's episode by listening to a video report filed by students of Sunnyside High School in Tucson, Arizona. They file video reports for their school's local video system on YouTube, and today's I'd like to start with one of their reports about the installation of new cameras at the school. This report was filed on YouTube in May 2007. Let's listen to the Blue Devil News from Sunnyside High School in Tucson, Arizona. Are you camera shy? Would you rather not appear in front of the camera? Here at Blue Devil News, we have encountered problems with students not wanting to be interviewed or photographed. Many times in today's society, choosing to be in front of the camera is no longer an option. There are cameras on traffic lights, in fast food restaurants, at local grocery stores, and now at Sunnyside High School. Last winter, six cameras were installed throughout Sunnyside High School. We asked Manuel Davila, the vice principal at Sunnyside High School, what his motives were for installing these cameras. The two major issues were, number one, we need to do everything we can to keep our campus as safe as possible. There's been a lot of criminal activity in schools across America in the last few years. Everything ranging from students within campus, um, such as Columbine, as uh, schools in Oregon and Alabama, where students have shot other students and caused massacres on campus, as well as people coming off the street. And that's been more of the recent trend, where people are coming off the street, intruding our high schools, and doing things that they shouldn't be doing with our students. By having our cameras here, it's a deterrent to these people. They know that we have one more instrument of security that they have to go through if they're going to do what they're planning to do. They also know that it's easier for them to get caught in the actions that they're doing. So I think that the cameras have done a great job of deterring some criminal activity. Some members of the Sunnyside community are opposed to this invasion of personal privacy. 
The cameras haven't done anything for us. We've had them since last year, and the violence has still continued. My friend's car recently got broken into, and this is supposed to be stopping the violence. So I don't know why they're still here. We asked James Heinz, a teacher here at Sunnyside High School, what his opinion was on the new cameras. The society in which we live. It doesn't matter where you go now, whether it's the Kmart or the Walmart parking lot. You know, we've had technology, this type of technology, for years, and it's only now being used on campuses and in parking lots, I think, for the safety of, uh, of the people. School is just a microcosm of society, and society needs cameras for safety, and I think schools also need cameras for safety. So in that report filed by the students of Sunnyside High School for the students of Sunnyside High School, you have the two authority figures, quote-unquote, the principal and one of the teachers, who both argue that it's good for the students to be under surveillance at all times because it helps keep them safe. And just as a microcosm of society, cameras keep us all safe, so it would work in the schools as well. Of course, the one student interviewed for that report points out that the cameras have not, in fact, made any appreciable difference in the amount of violence in the school. And perhaps that student had listened to episode 10 of the corporate report, and if so, she would have learnt that, in fact, uh, cameras have no appreciable difference on overall rates of crime, uh, including an a article we cited in that episode about a street in England which, despite having numerous CCTV cameras, has seen an, only an increase in crime in recent years. But I digress. Surely, many will argue, it couldn't hurt to have these systems in place, even if they don't actually reduce the amount of crime in an area. What possible harm could it do to have these surveillance cameras up in the schools watching our children 24 hours a day? Well, in today's episode, I hope it will become clear that this is part of an ever-widening expansion of the police state apparatus, which is slowly closing in around us. And for those listeners who are tuning in for the first time or who have not heard it before, I would suggest going back and listening to episode 10 of the Corbett Report entitled The Police State's Noose is Coiling Around Your Neck to get an idea of some of the macrocosm of society and some of the surveillance technologies which are coming into place to help control us all. But today we're going to focus specifically on the schools. Now, one of the biggest concerns, and the one cited in that Blue Devil News report, is the concern over keeping the children safe from predators from the outside world. Of course, we don't want sexual predators or any type of misfit or violent criminal or school shooter, for that matter, to be hunting down children in the schools themselves. And to that end, of course, schools have a responsibility to provide some degree of security for their children. And thus, these types of surveillance cameras can be one tool in helping to combat the problem of intruders making their way into a school, the idea being that the cameras will act as a deterrent. Again, make of that what you will. But as the technology progresses, so do the levels of control involved. I'd like to turn to a news article from Packet Online from June 28, 2007. This article is headlined, School District Demands Biometric Data from Parents. In return, parents get access to children. And it reads in part, quote, The school district in Plumstead has installed a new security system that will check whether visitors to the school are registered sex offenders. Called the Teacher Parent Authorization Security System, TPAS, with Sex Offender Lookup, 
put out by iMetric Identity Systems. The new system will track visitors and people checking students out of school, Superintendent Jerry North said Monday. The system photographs each visitor and scans the name and address of the visitor's driver's license, he said. It then prints a label with the person's photograph and a photograph of the staff member being visited. Then it creates a centralized database of visitors, he added. It allows us to see a snapshot of the visitors in the school at any given moment, he said. In addition, the system runs the person's name against a database of registered sex offenders, and if something gets red flagged, we would just not allow the person into the school, he said, adding that school officials would notify parents if someone attempted to pick up their child. End quote. The article continues in a similar vein, pointing out that the system will hopefully keep track of people in the school and keep those unwanted felons out of the school. Again, a cause which is in and of itself a noble cause and one that few would dispute. However, the premise involved in implementing such a system in the school is basically treating all visitors to the school as felons until proven otherwise. And indeed, even parents who are going to pick up their children must go through this process to get their child from school. The underlying message involved in this process is that the school, in fact, owns the children and that the parents are allowed to visit their children or allowed to pick up their children by the school. It's a system for training parents and students and teachers that the real authority rests with the school board, not with the parents themselves. This is a dangerous precedent and one that is not simply being implemented in Plumstead. It's being implemented not only across the United States, but in other countries as well, Canada, England, Australia, etc. This is, when considered in the proper light, a large enough violation of the fundamental rights of parents to have free access to their children at any time that they so desire in any way they see fit. But of course, this type of tracking technology is not reserved for the parents. This report was filed just last week, 23rd of November 2007, from the Daily Mail, and it's headlined, School to Track Pupils with Radio Chips Sewn into Their Uniforms. This article reads in part, quote, Children are to be tracked in school via radio chips sewn into their uniforms. The manufacturer is marketing the Radio Frequency Identification, RFID, surveillance system nationwide, following a trial with 19 pupils at Hunger Hill School in Doncaster this year. The chip is embroidered into school uniforms using conductive smart threads. A teacher can then scan these to view the pupil's identity, photo, whether they misbehaved in lessons, and their school attendance record, end quote. Again, this is not an isolated thing. As that article notes, this system is being implemented nationwide in England, and of course is also being implemented in other countries, including America, Canada, Australia, etc., In America, the student tracking so far is taking the form of ID cards, which the students will have to swipe in order to buy anything at school. And this is also another form of control over not only the students, but of course the parents, the family itself. Again, don't take my word for this. Let's listen to someone who's actually in the school system talk about this new system that's being implemented. I'd like to listen to a phone call that was made to the Alex Jones radio show on March 18th, of this year, in which the caller, who is in the high school system, brings up the new ID cards that are being implemented in the school, and Alex Jones explains a little bit more about this system. Let's listen to this clip from the Alex Jones Show. Let us now go ahead and uh, 
talk to Billy in New Jersey. Billy, you're on the air. Welcome. Hello, Alex. Hi, Billy. Hi. I'm a first-time caller. By the way, I'm 18 and in high school, by the way, junior. Okay, great. Great um, to have you listening. I had a question. It was about our school system. In our progress report, it's stating that it's starting to construct a new security system in which we're going to have to wear ID cards and use them to slip into everything, like slot machines and everything. Yeah, and then they'll track what you buy and what you do, and then if your parents don't put enough money on there, then CPS will come and claim you're not being fed right. And uh, Let me break this down for you. It's illegal. It's been thrown out all over the country. It's a violation of your privacy. But it doesn't matter how many schools throw it out. They come in with federal grants, and then they put in a system called the, the Raptor system, Westlake outside Austin put it in, and it's hooked into the Travis County and the federal criminal databases. Your grades, your tardies are all in there, opening criminal files on you. It makes parents wear badges when they come to the school. Uh, it totally controls you. It's training your children that your parents have to show IDs to get you, that the state owns the children. Uh, even the high schools have these. And uh, it's all about getting you in the system. If the government can't get you on welfare or into the criminal justice system, uh, they're going to really press to try to get you into a, a financial bankruptcy. Everything is about enslaving you. And I can't believe Westlake parents and parents in Arkansas and parents in Ohio allow them to do this. And, and, and it, again, statistically, school teachers, administrators, Truancy officers, CPS workers have a higher level of child abuse and child molestation. That's because that's where ch smart child molesters go to get jobs. So what's to protect the kids in the schools from the teachers? And I'm not saying you're bad if you're a teacher out there. I'm saying statistically you got a lot of perverts trying to join up, just like I'm not saying all scout leaders are bad. I'm sure my children will want to be in the scouts, and they're getting up to that age. I'll probably have to go join because I won't let them be in there unless I'm watching. So that doesn't mean I'd be like that or that 95% are. But statistically, there's more perverts in the scouts because that's where you go. Why do you go to fish in the ocean? It's where the fish are. Where do the perverts go? Where the kids are? This has nothing to do, zero, with keeping children safe. It's about training you to be a prisoner with barbed wire fences and police searches. Anyone that has their children in a government training camp is insane. And that's why you've gone from one million homeschoolers six, seven years ago to over four million homeschoolers a year, and that's growing. And that's why they're trying to ban homeschooling. Hey, state, you don't own the children. You don't own the population. And you're not going to get away with it anymore. Listeners are encouraged to visit my website to find a link to the Raptor website, which is the website of that system which Alex Jones was discussing in that clip. Very similar to the T-Pass system, which was discussed in the Packet Online article from earlier in this episode. As that clip amply demonstrates, this is part of a broader system of control. This, the police state is encroaching into the school system so that not only are people being tracked like criminals when they are in schools, they're also subject to searches and seizures and anything else that the school wishes to throw at them. An example of how the school system is being used to implement technologies and systems of control which otherwise, in other t sectors of society, would not be tolerated. Let's turn to a couple of uh, news articles to demonstrate exactly what's going on in the school system these days. There's one from dailynews.com from Los Angeles, uh, Lancaster County, entitled Fingerprints to Speed Up Lunch Lines. But let's take a look at this article out of the Halifax Evening Courier from the UK, entitled School to Fingerprint Pupils for New School Dinner Payment System. 
It was filed on the 12th of October, 2007, and it reads in part, quote, It will be food for fingerprints for pupils in Todd Morden after a controversial new method to pay for school dinners was adopted. The system introduced at Todd Morden High School takes details of children's fingerprints and allows them to pay for their dinner by touching their thumb on a screen. The biometric method is still in its infancy and has sparked nationwide controversy. It was recently introduced at Morley High School, Leeds, prompting parent protests about putting children's identities at risk. But several Calderdale schools have expressed an interest, and Patrick O'Connor, headmaster of Todd Morden High School, said, It's working really well. I never had any doubts about the system. We are the first in Calderdale to introduce the scheme, but it doesn't scare us at all. We are very proud and excited to be in that position. End quote. The article goes on to bring up questions of civil liberty under such a system, but hardly touches on the core central issue of this, as in why are children being subjected to the same treatment that we usually reserve for sex offenders and child molesters and murderers and thieves? Again, it's part of conditioning children at a very young age to accept the encroaching police state in which biometric data is going to be a key way of tracking and controlling citizens' movements. Now that can be amply demonstrated by a couple of clips which I'm going to play right now. Uh, Both of these are from Britain and uh, Britain tends to be ahead of the curve in terms of implementing this police state but uh, other countries are following suit in a rapid manner. So let's listen to this first clip, which is a BBC News report on the wonders of school fingerprinting for lunches in Britain. Well, it's something from James Bond films that's now becoming part of everyday life, fingerprint identification. And now pupils at a school in South Tyneside are now to have their fingerprints taken in the dinner queue as a way of paying for their meals. Brinkburn Comprehensive is the only is only the second school in the whole country to introduce the system. Stephanie Lloyd reports. 21st century technology. You don't need cash to eat a school dinner here. Basically, I put my finger on the scanner. The system should recognise me. My image would be displayed, and the balance of my account is displayed. We then have a, a whole menu that's available for the students and the staff uh, to choose from. The scheme costs £22,000 and has been funded by South Tyneside Council in a bid to speed up service and promote healthy eating. Once the machine's read the fingerprint, the child's meal is charged to an account. It's much better because you get a lot of people who normally forget the dinner money and when they do forget the dinner money you just put your finger on and then you're done. People don't know who's getting free school meals and it just it cuts down on bullying as well. It speeds up the whole system, so it usually takes till about quarter to one before everyone's had the dinner. And at this rate, like, everyone's in by half and it's just really easy to use. Parents will be able to keep a check on what their children eat, and it's hoped the scheme will encourage children to stay at school during the lunch hour rather than heading for the local chippy. Again, the technology is presented in a wholly positive light with no look at the negative ramifications of such a system. 
Now, the conditioning here with the fingerprinting system is twofold. You'll notice that that report stressed heavily the fact that it's a convenient, cashless way to pay for your food, which again is conditioning the children of today to accept the cashless systems which are going to be put in place tomorrow. Again, we have the president of Visa going on record earlier this year to say that there will be a cashless society by the year 2012. But perhaps more chillingly, the students are being conditioned to present their biometric data like thumbprints or fingerprints for presentation to authorities upon demand. Let's contrast that last story with this story, also from the BBC, about roadside checks of motorists, which were taking place in England recently. Well, the police here in Dunstable have just started only about 10 minutes ago pulling people over from the side of the road and checking their number plates. These are, these are motorists who they're interested in. They've, they could perhaps have been disqualified. They may be driving without insurance. And what they'll do here is they'll ask them for identification. And if they believe that they may not be giving them all the information required, if they believe they're not telling the truth about their details, then they will be asked for their fingerprints. Well, Chris Wheeler is head of fingerprint identification. Um, Chris, unfortunately, we don't have one of the machines to, uh, to show how it works here. But if you can just take us through exactly um, what we might be seeing. Well, the officer will invite the, uh, the driver of the vehicle um, to actually put their fingers, uh, index finger of each hand, actually on the device. Uh, can we take a look at that? Can we... we can see here, within there, each index finger, yeah. each in turn, and uh, having uh, put the fingerprints on there, uh, the officer then puts certain details here, which he will need, and we send the data that's captured away to the central computer and within a couple of minutes it will come back with a response to the officer so giving, the, giving an identity. If you had reason to suspect, say you pulled me over, you had reason to suspect that I wasn't giving you my true details, I would be asked to put my index finger here. That would be beamed to the central database where I believe it, it, it's um, checked against 6.5 million fingerprints, is that correct? That's perfectly correct, yes it is. Okay. I some people would say, God, it's, it's like Big Brother, isn't it? How much data are the police going to collect on us? Are you going to store these fingerprints? This data is not kept at all. It's uh, used for the purpose of identifying someone at the roadside. Uh, that machine uh, does contain data while it's being used, but once we finish using the machine for this tour of duty, it's cleared down completely. In fact, if you're really concerned as a member of the motoring public, the officer will actually delete your details while you're there because he won't need them anymore once he has your identity confirmed. And as um, we understand it, at, at the moment, you can't be compelled to give um, your fingerprint by the roadside. However, this is a, a bit of a grey area, because if you say no, if you refuse the police your fingerprint, and they still have reason to suspect you're not telling the truth, then they can arrest you and take you in and take your fingerprint anyway. So it seems that you don't have that much choice, really. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head with the suspicion that, that the officer has. The officer will have suspicion for a variety of reasons. That's why you will have been stopped in the first place. All this is doing is confirming your identity at the roadside. It enables us, having confirmed your identity, to deal with you, and it might mean that you're not arrested, you're not taken to the police station, the officer is free to carry out further duties. That might save you three or four hours of your time. Just briefly, how much time is this saving police? Well, it's, it's a considerable amount of time on each occasion it's used. 
reports, early reports indicate uh, use in the past few days where we've dealt with incidents within 10 to 15 minutes that otherwise would have taken two officers up to three hours to deal with. Well, you can see why the police here are excited about this device. It's been tried out as well as in Bedfordshire Police in nine other police areas, including the Metropolitan Police and North Wales. The trial will last about a year, and then if all goes well, they'll review the statistics and see whether it can be rolled out across the country. Earlier in the, the launch of this today, one of the officers said, we know this is the best thing since sliced bread. We just have to prove that through statistics. Now, listeners who were actually assured by Mr. Wheeler's assurances that the police will destroy the data right there in front of you, uh, just to make sure that the data doesn't go anywhere or is not used, might be interested in taking a look at an article that I wrote in September for the Corbett Report entitled The DNA Database, which goes on to cite the growing database of DNA profiles in the UK, which already contains the DNA profiles of over 4 million UK citizens, including over 883,000 profiles of juveniles between the ages of 10 and 17, and a further 108 records, DNA fingerprints, as it were, of youths under 10. The implementation of the police state in Britain, as I say, is ahead of the curve of other countries around the world. And as such, it's important to look at these systems that are being implemented there to understand what is coming to countries such as Canada, America, Australia, and others. Another form of this implementation of the fingerprint control is uh, being implemented in Japan as we speak. Again, you can look at an article I wrote for my website, thecorbettreport.com in which I outline a new security feature that has just recently been implemented for for any foreign visitors visiting Japan, even permanent residents of Japan, except for those with certain special status, who will have to present their biometric data in the form of index finger fingerprints and digital photographs every single time they enter the country from now on. And of course, as we heard Alex Jones mention earlier, the data that's being used to track and control uh, students and visitors to schools in the school system in America is being tied into county and federal police databases, in effect opening criminal records uh, on students and on visitors to schools just by virtue of their surrendering their biometric data to the authorities, which is Let's not mistake what's happening every time you present your fingerprints to the authorities for scanning for any purpose. Of course, it will always be presented to us in the form of A, security. Obviously, fingerprint security is uh, one of the safest way to ensure the identity of people as they come into a school, for example, or as they enter the borders of a country. And people who actually believe that are invited to look at a YouTube clip from the program Mythbusters, which shows just how easy it is to completely fool fingerprint security systems. But B, secondarily, these fingerprint systems are always presented to us in the form of convenience. It will be so convenient when we live in a system where we can just present our biometric data, maybe by swiping our fingerprint or by using a retinal scan to identify ourselves, Thus, not having to carry around any of that useless, burdensome cash, which, you know, can't be traced. Of course, listeners to the Corbett Report who did listen to episode 10 know that this is all trending towards a new type of identification entitled RFID, which can take the form of an implantable microchip implanted under the skin. 
Those scoffing or rolling their eyes are invited to check out episode 10 of the Corbett Report to find out that, in fact, this uh, technology has already been implemented and there are those who are already getting chipped, as they call it, in order to show that they're concerned about security and are willing to do their part to make sure that they contribute to a safer society. So I think it's firmly established that the schools are becoming a type of prison in which prisoners or students or visitors to schools are forced to surrender their personal details, including biometric data, to the authorities simply for the pleasure of entering the school atmosphere. But there's also a further level of psychological control which is taking place in the form of trauma-based conditioning, also known as terror drills or shooting drills at schools. Of course, well-publicized incidents like those at Columbine High School or the recent one at Virginia Tech have amply demonstrated that it is, in fact, possible for the most horrific type of slaughter to occur at the schools today. Of course, the authorities' way of dealing with this is not to deal with it in a rational way, but to simply reinforce the idea of schools as a place where terror can strike in an instant by conducting psyops in the form of terror drills. Let's take a look at some of the articles which demonstrate this fact, including this one from November 1st, 2006, entitled Armed Men Terrorize School, which reads in part, A recent incident in which armed riot police raided a Michigan junior and high school as part of a drill that the children were not aware was about to take place raises the, b- the bar in the pursuit of an agenda to fully transform public schools into prison training camps set up to breed continuous generations of obedient slaves. A school safety drill that included police officers in riot gear with weapons has caused concern among some parents who say it was too realistic and frightened some students. Students who were unaware police were conducting a drill were taken from the classroom into the halls, patted down by officers, and asked what they had in their pockets, the newspaper said. Some of these kids were so scared they just about wet their pants, said Marge Bradshaw, a parent with four children in Godfrey Lee's schools. I think it's pure wrong that the students and parents were not informed of this. Listeners are encouraged to read the rest of this article for themselves at prisonplanet.com as it's highly illustrative of the type of psyops which are being conducted on children today to only reinforce the idea that they're living in terrorist prisons in which madmen with guns can strike at any time. This type of conditioning only serves to reinforce the idea that this can happen. It only creates the idea in people's minds that this is something that can be done. It creates a copycat syndrome in which these types of attacks often occur in clumps. Again, you'll notice that Columbine was quickly preceded and proceeded by similar gun shootings in Canada, and that the Virginia Tech shooting was also intimately linked through the media with the terrible school slaying in Amish country in Pennsylvania. There are numerous other articles which talk about this type of thing. I'll just point to one other from AP, from Murfreesboro, Tennessee, entitled Tennessee Teachers Stage a Fake Gunman Attack on Sixth Graders During School Trip. And this report reads, in, in part, quote, Staff members of an elementary school staged a fictitious gun attack on students during a class trip, telling them it was not a drill as the children cried and hid under tables. The mock attack Thursday night was intended as a learning experience and lasted five minutes during the weekend trip to a state park, said Scales Elementary School Assistant Principal Don Barch, who led the trip. 
We got together and discussed what we would have done in a real situation, he said. But parents of the sixth grade students were outraged. The children were in that room in the dark, begging for their lives because they thought that someone with a gun was after them, said Brandy Cole, whose son went on the trip. End quote. This article is representative of a string of such staged attacks which take place under, usually under federal funding to supposedly test responses to these types of situations, but which usually only serve to terrorize the students involved, which is, of course, one way of making a population docile and easily manipulatable. For perhaps a more sensory depiction of what happens in these types of drills, let's turn to a news report. This is a report filed from Albany, New York, by the local CBS affiliate. Students, fire drills and earthquake drills are simply the norm. But today, in a sign of the times, students in Albany took part in a school shooting drill that, as you'll see, was very intense. Andy Peterson joins us live in the newsroom to tell us about it. Andy? David, today's active shooter simulation at West Albany High was mostly meant to train law enforcement for a school shooting situation. But student volunteers also got into the act, and for them, it was an eye-opener. This may be only a drill, but it's just about as real as it gets. Basically, the weaponry is uh, the same weaponry that we carry on duty. However, they use a marking cartridge. It's kind of like a paintball, but it's a gas-driven paint pellet. Two counties worth of law enforcement and a couple of dozen student volunteers took part in this active shooter drill at West Albany High on Wednesday. It's kind of scary at first, like you can even feel the gun when it goes off and like when it hits, like the bullets hit, it's just all so realistic, it's weird. There are many unknowns, but one thing is for certain, there's at least one shooter on a rampage. As law enforcement heads into a situation, the kids who are playing the roles know what they're doing. The bad guys also know what's going on, but these guys don't know what to expect. In that sense, it's the same feeling they'd have if they walked into an active shooter situation. In this situation, the bullets are replaced with paint, and the good guys always win. But the cops and the kids say they're better prepared for the worst. I don't think people think about it happening at their school because they're like, oh, that doesn't happen here. But, I mean, it, potentially it could happen anywhere. It could, it could happen here. So it, it kind of gives you an experience of what it would be like and how scary it would actually be. And why is it important to give you an experience of how scary it would actually be? Food for thought. The psychological manipulation of students, of course, does not end there. Further examples of such psychological manipulation include this article from the UK Daily Mail from June 2007. This article is headlined, Children as Young as Four to be Given Happiness Tests at School, and reads in part, quote, Children as young as four are to take happiness tests in a controversial drive to force schools to improve the well-being of pupils, it has emerged. Thousands of youngsters are expected to be quizzed on whether they are feeling optimistic, confident, loved, and interested in other people. They will be set questionnaires similar to the self-help help quizzes found in women's magazines to check they are feeling good about myself and dealing with problems well. Heads will be expected to tackle influences like likely to lead to poor mental health or mental health disorders. 
They will be encouraged to use methods ranging from special programs to help children make the transition to primary or secondary schools to sessions which are part of day-to-day teaching. Trendy new emotional literacy classes have already been introduced in many primary and secondary schools with the aim of teaching children to manage anger and jealousy and develop empathy. However, critics have accused the government of foisting responsibilities onto schools that are better left with parents as part of a traditional upbringing. That, of course, comes from the UK, which, as I've said, is ahead of the curve in implementing these police state procedures in schools. But this also comes from the UK, from the Telegraph on the 2nd of April 2007. And the headline to this chilling article reads, New Child Checks to Identify Future Criminals. This article reads in part, quote, Checks will be made on all children to identify potential criminals under a further extension of the surveillance state announced by Tony Blair today. A Downing Street review of law and order policy also called for greater use of sophisticated CCTV, an expanded DNA database, and instant justice powers for police. The review is intended to chart a course ahead for the next 10 years by focusing more on the offender, not the offense. Most crime is committed by a small number of prolific offenders who could be identified almost from birth, ministers believe. After 10 years concentrating on tougher sentences, the review paper said it wanted to tackle the underlying causes through better targeting. Vulnerable children and those at risk will be identified by trigger factors such as parents in jail or on drugs. They will be subject to personalized measures, including home visits from specialist practitioners. But the government says the net should be cast as widely as possible to prevent criminality developing. End quote. If that article does not send shivers down your spine, you did not listen carefully enough. The government is going to decide who may or may not become in the future a potential criminal, and based on their infinite wisdom, will decide who needs what kind of specialized home visits from the government agents and what action they can take. Also, the system will introduce a growing CCTV surveillance system, an expanded DNA database, and instant justice powers for police, whatever that might mean. Chilling indeed. We've shown how the school system these days is moving to identify visitors to schools as well as students themselves as criminals to traumatize them with terror-based conditioning in the form of terror drills and school shooting drills. I guess the only thing left for the school boards to do is to assert the ultimate control over children by claiming their ownership of these children's bodies. Oh, wait. They are. First at five tonight, 800 local families forced to come to court for something they have not given their children. Hello, everyone. I'm Sean Yancey. And I'm Laura Evans. More than 2,000 Prince George's County students have not gotten their state-mandated shots. Tonight, an ultimatum to some of those parents, come to court, get the shots, or else. Fox I Sherry Lee, live in Forestville, to explain this one. Sherry? Laura, some students here in Prince George's County Schools have missed up to a month and a half of school because they have not gotten their vaccinations for chicken pox and hepatitis B. Now the school system says it's time to get tough and take those parents to court. Free clinics, free shots, door-to-door visits, and countless letters. Still more than 2,300 Prince George's County students don't have their required immunizations. We need those students immunized. We need them in schools. We need them safe. 
This Saturday, more than 1,600 students and their parents have been ordered to appear in circuit court for the children to be immunized. Health workers will be on hand to give the shots immediately. We can do this the easy way, or we can do this the hard way, but it's going to have to get done. The problem is a new law that took effect last year, requiring students in the fifth through tenth grades to also have the chickenpox and hepatitis B vaccine. Parents who don't show up in court and who don't comply could end up fined or in jail. I mean, I shouldn't. I don't think it should have came to that in the first place. You know, as a parent, that you, your ch- kids need their shots. Those that are immunized and those that aren't, aren't could pass on some diseases. If- Although. Now, it may seem unusual for children to be uh, immunized by court order, but the Supreme Court has actually ruled on this very issue more than 100 years ago with smallpox. The school system says they do make exemptions for religious purposes or other medical reasons, but you have to apply for that exemption. Now, if parents do not show up in court, they could face a $50 fine and up to 10 days in jail. We're live in Forestville. Sherry Lee, Fox 5 News. Perhaps this is something of an oxymoron, but that Fox News report is nothing but a pack of propagandistic lies, cleverly put together to make people feel that there is indeed a law forcing parents to get their children vaccinated, when, of course, no such law exists in any of the 50 states of the United States of America. Indeed, there is no way to violate someone's inalienable human right to deny the government from putting whatever types of toxins it wants into their body. But that report frames it in such a way to make people believe that the parents in question are being taken to court because they failed to comply with some sort of law. In fact, what they did was fail to comply with the color of law. A list of recommended vaccines is drawn up by the school boards, usually either by the governor or the state legislature in each state. These recommended vaccines, if they are not given to a student, will cause that student to be suspended from the school. Since the school is suspending the student, that student is classified as truant. Therefore, it then becomes a truancy issue and officers can pick up the student or file criminal charges on the parent for making their student truant from school. It is in this way that they try to force families to give vaccinations. As the report notes towards the end, the families fully have the right to exempt themselves from the vaccination process. In fact, even signing an exemption form is not required, as proven in case after case in court, that these laws are completely unconstitutional. You should not have to sign a waiver in order to invoke your inalienable human right to deny the government access to your body. And if you if you go to my website under the documentation for today's episode at the Current Time Index, you'll be able to find a link to a radio interview that Alex Jones conducted with Glenn Ivey, the state attorney general who you heard in that Fox News broadcast, who admits not only that, in fact, there is no law forcing parents to get their son or daughter inoculated, but he also admits in that interview that he himself did not give his children the Hep B shot, which is one of the so-called mandated vaccinations referred to in that Fox report. An extremely interesting interview. What all of this is pointing to is something that has been a working assumption of the Corbett Report podcast since its inception, and something that I hope my listeners have picked up on. And that is the working assumption that there has been a change inculcated in our society through the controlled corporate media over the past few decades, 
which has taken us from a liberty-loving people into people who are willing to sacrifice our most basic human rights in the name of convenience. Things which would have horrified, in fact, nightmare realities for our forefathers and foremothers are now accepted as simply part of our reality and are not even questioned anymore. There is a change coming in our society, an awakening to the true priorities of our society, what made us so great in the first place, our love of liberty, our love of freedom, our ability to pursue things in our own way for ourselves. That is an instinct that Madison Avenue would desperately love you to lose because your dependency on corporate culture makes the corporate fascist state which is implementing the police state we see growing around ourselves possible. Please keep that in mind as I end today's episode with this rhetorical question. For all the parents out there, for all the students out there, for all the teachers out there, for anyone who knows someone who is in the school system, please ask yourself this. What will you do when you start to see these systems of control being implemented in your school district? That's it for today's episode of The Corbett Report. Please join me again next week for episode 23 of The Corbett Report. just a microcosm of society and society needs cameras for safety and I think schools also need cameras for safety.